right, and welcome back to another episode of Rebel with a Cause, and I am your host, Eric, and joining me on the line is another Eric, Eric LaPriest. How's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Oh, doing pretty good. Uh, got a, well, I had a scotch and soda, and then I spilled it. Damn it. Oh, did you just do that? I just did that. <laughs> do you, uh, do you listen to um, Legion of Skanks? Everyone. The date. Dave Smith and Luis J. Gomez and Big Joe Oakson. Yeah, every once in a while I'll pick up an episode of theirs. So for the last, like, I don't know, six months maybe, Lewis has been on a kick uh, and has, like, spilt his drink basically every episode for almost six months. That's it's, Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. And the, the last episode, he uh, – <laughs> the last episode, it was, like, in the last five minutes of the show, it was like, we thought we – like everybody's like, oh, we thought you were gonna make it, and totally didn't make it. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. Spilling drinks. I literally just like picked it up, and for whatever reason, it just like slipped right out of my hand. Ah, uh, that sucks. That's the worst. All over. Tell me it was. Hopefully, it was cheap scotch. Uh, it was that bullet rye that I had. Oh, okay. Well, that's not. Yeah. So it's not expensive. not particularly expensive or anything. I would hope if you're drinking scotch and soda, like I'm hoping it's not good scotch or good whiskey in any way shape or form like good whiskey doesn't need soda <laughs> i'd have been a little upset if it was the mcmillan so yeah yeah you know something that costs like 80 bucks a bottle <laughs> yeah yeah i'm working through my last my mom for christmas last year got me a handle of johnny walker black label and i'm like working my way through that although it's not scotch season i'm a I'm a Scotch guy, but it's from so my birthday is the first uh, weekend in October, or well, it's the it's the second of October. Nice. And so, I basically the way I run my general consumption of alcohol is I I drink Scotch from my birthday to the first day over like ninety, which in South Texas could be like you know mid March <laughs> uh, or early April. Which isn't to say that like, oh, it's going to be not, but like the first day where it like peaks over 90, you know, it could be the next week, it could be 70 all week. But I mean, you know, this, you live in Louisiana, spring and fall weather is goofy. And so basically the rule is from my birthday to the first day of 90 degree weather, I drink scotch from 90 degree weather back to my birthday. I drink gin. Yeah. Gin's going to be a hard sell for me. I just, I, I can't get past the flavor. Oh, it's so good. Especially good gin. Cheap gin can be really, 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 really bad. But but anything over like, you know, Hendrix and better is just so good. I've got this. My wife found me this bottle of like craft gin from Colorado. Spirit Hound, something like that. And it's uh, instead of being rosemary or juniper heavy, it's fennel heavy. So it tastes like licorice. Nice. So good. <laughs> so good. Yes, and for you younger uh, folks out there, licorice is the black candy that you leave alone at grandma's house. No, no, hell no. I love licorice. I buy black licorice on purpose. And none of this red li- I mean, I like Twizzlers and whatever, but like, I've got a ridiculous sweet tooth. But I, I love black, like real old school, hard black licorice is, I, yeah, big fan. Oh yeah, same here, same here. That was, uh, that was one of my go-to things. Because, uh, my grandpa didn't like it, but my grandma did. And ah. so he would just leave it alone. He, he was always going after peppermints and everything. But yeah, she had those little, the, the little ones that were in the, uh, in the little packages. So it wasn't like a full stick of licorice. But yeah, you would just bite into them and that was all you got. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to be careful with that stuff too, because too much of that can, can result in disaster pants. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so uh, uh, Bobby Joe Woods uh, did the champagne poop on my show, and now Eric Laprise is doing uh, disaster pants online. So, well, actually, I told Bobby Joe about that after that episode. I was like, you know, in the in the lifting community, like in the like keto like lifting paleo community, that's called disaster pants. Yeah, you have like so years ago, I did the whole like <clears throat> bulletproof coffee kind of thing with like coconut oil, and everybody everybody warns you like if you if you do your research before you do that everybody will tell you like hey you have to uh develop a tolerance to the coconut oil so you have to start with like a teaspoon at a time and then like twice a week 
you can add another teaspoon until you get up to about a tablespoon and a half ish, maybe two, if you're really kind of, if you're good at it, but you like, or if your body kind of takes that well, but you can't go much past that. And if you rush it too fast, you will definitely get disaster pants. And, and so it's, yeah, that's a, it's a thing. You're already going to go poop because of the coffee, but yeah, the coffee doesn't help the butter or coconut oil doesn't like all that whole combination. Like it, it's yeah, it, it, can be really gnarly and it's not like i mean it's like the worst case of di- it's not even the worst case of diarrhea because there's none of the cramping or anything it's just like it doesn't there's no warning yeah because it's like oh it's a slip and slide basically it, yeah terrible yeah, there, there's uh when i was first doing it i was like ah no man i'm a big boy i can handle it Ooh. <laughs> oh man i really got some gas oh no <laughs> yeah not gas that's that's exactly what happens it's like oh i think i need to fart and then it's like okay that was oh man that was not a fart yeah your, your lower <laughs> intestine is like uh, buddy <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't don't cough too hard dude get over a toilet quick that's <laughs> uh, like oh man now i know how women over 45 feel <laughs> yeah i'm a. I'm seriously considering doing the uh, the starting strength linear progression thing as my next, like, I'm done being fat and I need to put on some muscle and cut some weight. And uh, it's like, the in the, like, barbell world, which is I, the last thing I did was kind of that same vein. And uh, before I, like, got hurt again and then got in a car accident and really couldn't do anything for a year. But in that community, like, shooting your pants is kind of a normal... Sorry, if... I don't know. Yes, you did. I do know this because you have told the last two guests that they can drop a hard C. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I swear like a sailor and I've been trying to like be better about it because I've been listening to my own episodes and, and it's been like ugh, a little much. So anyway, like shooting your pants is just kind of a normal thing as you get to heavier and heavier weights because you're squeezing so hard to lift. Like you've got everything tight and then you just kind of yeah it, it can be pretty bad and there's like in the like strongman and, and powerlifting in olympic worlds and so not just like kind of normal barbell strength like but in the competitive worlds there's all these videos of people like literally blowing their assholes out like trying to deadlift a thousand pounds and just like <laughs> over over squeeze and blow it out the back it's not great oh, it's uh i'll use the polite term the rosebud yeah yeah, good old fashioned prolapse. Yuck. Yeah, I wasn't gonna go there, but uh, you know. <laughs> well, you can always cut it if you need to, but like, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So when Bobby Joe was like, "Oh, it's champagne poops," I was like, "Oh no," you know, like you know, there's there's a term for that, and she's like, "Yeah, I know the term, but I didn't want to co-opt it because I don't come out of that world." I was like, "I don't think any of us would anybody that's done any kind of lifting ever would probably not care that you said disaster pants. It's kind of just a common thing in that world. You all kind of deal with it." Basic. I mean, basically everybody at some point, like you, uh, yeah. If you get into if you get into deadlifting in particular, you're like you're gonna do it. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Even if you go like and make sure that you do everything you have to before you have to go out there and lift, like whatever is developing and building, it, that's gonna get squirted out. So. Yeah, man. Like especially when you get to a place where like you need a belt, like to to help tight like. You just everything's all squeezed in and then you get down and then full force exertion like if you're trying to deadlift i don't know like you know let's say 400 pounds for the first time like that's a lot of work and yeah <laughs> bad things can happen and you're engaging all of your core muscles at the same time oh everything you're engaging your whole body like from your feet to your at least to your neck like everything's tight everything's squeezing you, you're like it's a it is as full body as it gets, I, it, squats are more full body, but it, I think it's less tension. That's my my basic perception of like squats versus deadlift is because you kind of start up with the squat and then go down and try to come back up. It's less of a full body. And granted, my squats have never been really great. So maybe as it gets heavier, it gets closer to where the deadlift is. But I'm like built for deadlifting, right? Like I'm 5'9". 265 pounds now because I'm fat, but like, you know, if I'm in good shape, I'm like 245 and lifting and I can 
even without being super strong, I can, I can deadlift more than I should be able to based on the rest of my athletic prowess, which is like the square root of zero. I'm not athletic in any way, shape or form, but I'm built for deadlifts. I'm like five, nine, you know, two sixty ish. And I wear a 52 or like 53 suit jacket. Like I've got broad shoulders, wide hips, I've tree trunks for legs. I'm very short, low center gravity. Like I am built for deadlifts. And so, yeah, it just, I, this, my squat game has never been great. So maybe if you're squatting higher weights than I ever have, it gets a little bit closer to where the deadlift is, but man, trying to pull 350 pounds off the floor, which is not a huge amount. Cause I've never been like, by the time I got into, I was not in great shape when I started getting into lifting. And by the time I was like starting to make any kind of progress, I hurt my back again and then got in a car accident and had a kid and just work got crazy. And so I kind of cut it out, but I'm headed back that direction. I'm coming back around for more, but like trying to pull 350 off the floor for the first time is like, I've never felt a load that high. And I know guys, like I, I watch YouTube videos of guys that are like, Oh no, I deadlift. 500 kilos and i'm like holy crap it's like north of a thousand pounds and you know they're juiced and whatever but like still it's just like good grief you like from the floor from a full stop no momentum no motion to help with the you know with the squat it's like all right i start up i go down and then i bounce everything off my like you know adductors and whatever else and like i i've got momentum that yeah, I'm counteracting the existing momentum, but there's some mo- movement going to just like pull a thousand pounds off the floor is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But we all say like 500 kilos, like it's nothing, you know? Oh yeah. 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 500 kilos. It's like, Oh, I know, I know somebody who could like, you know, bench 250, like 500. Doesn't, no, it's like, no, you don't know somebody who can bench 250 kilos. No, you don't. <laughs> you might know somebody who can bench 250, like 250 pounds. If you like, you know, knew anybody that played division one football or whatever, but like, yeah, kilos is a whole other thing. You go, Oh, 500 kilos. What is that? Oh, uh, 2.2 pounds per kilo. Like it's like 1200 pounds, something like that. Somewhere in that ballpark. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I work out, uh, at 200 pounds for a bench press and that's just like kind of working it out a little bit, not really going to failure. But uh, if I go, like, do my body weight, like, uh, 275 or something, yeah, I'll be gassed <laughs> in no time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny how, like, that, like, 75 pounds doesn't sound like a whole lot. You think, like, you know, an 8-year-old or 10-year-old kid kind of thing. That doesn't sound like a lot. But it's like, well, no, I'm already at 200. If I add 75 pounds existing 200, it's like, that's a lot. You know, now I'm picking up a rather heavy set man, you know. <laughs> it's, uh... I, I, me. <laughs> like, so, oh, can you bench me? Like, good luck. Oh, maybe that's the thing we got to do at uh, Chili Dose. Just... Well, I'm hoping to be about 50 pounds lighter by the time Chili Dose rolls around. That's kind of my goal. So it'll be an easier thing to do. And I'll be closer to like 215. So you probably would be able to bench me yeah. come Chili Dose. <laughs> but yeah, st- uh, Starting Strength uh, is written by Mark Ripito. It's a great yep. Uh, I, I, that's definitely on the list of things, especially if you've never worked out before. Well, and one of the, like, one of their, like, certified starting strength, like, one of their big-time coaches is here in Austin. Actually, more than one of them. Um, so, I'm going to, like, I'm, I've tweeted a couple, it's maybe been a week, that I was like, hey, I'm about to get psychotic about some things publicly. Like, you should you should pay attention to Anarchist Garage. Like, you should watch my show, or mine and Anna Adams' show. Because, like, part of what we're doing, and we're announcing this in our episode that's coming out tomorrow morning, um, is that we're going to be doing uh, probably twice a month, we're going to be doing accountability sessions with each other and then posting them publicly of like, here's the product. We haven't picked a journal yet, but we're going to be doing a like productivity journal and, and just kind of, uh, are you aware of uh, Brett Vinat school sucks project? Yeah. 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 Brett's a- so, so Brett and his buddy, Andrew do this thing they call the discomfort zone. And so we're totally jacking his idea as a like regularly occurring episode on his on his show and i think mostly it's behind a paywall but we're going to do the same thing and so part of that like hey i'm going to get psychotic about things in public is i is the lifting like i'm going to go back to getting ridiculously strong and losing some weight so if you want to follow along for more of that stay tuned pay attention (laughs) well i'm subscribed so uh yeah yeah i'm 
I was talking to your audience. I'm trying to steal some of them or not steal them, but like, you know, Hey, come listen to me too. Like if you like Eric's show, you'll, you might like ours. You might not because we don't do current events really. So I find myself going a little bit more and more away from it myself just because I'm tired of looking at it. But, uh, oh, yeah. By the time I yeah. want something about it, like I, I listen to all the other podcasts and they pretty much say what I'm going to say. <laughs> so uh, we didn't do a current event show for two reasons. The first one was I couldn't give a shit. <laughs> like I don't care at, like at all. The second reason was everybody and their mother is doing a current event show and yeah there's different things and different interests to talk about and you could kind of make it your own but it's like no man everybody is doing that to death and and my my opinion might be interesting because i'm such a like weirdo anarchist whatever but part of that weirdo anarchy is like yeah none of it matters it's all theater so why would i waste my time yeah i got enough other crap to do and more interesting things to talk about than current events and politics and who's screwing i just don't care yeah i definitely i, I definitely get to myself I, as, especially with the democrat debates coming around and there's like every single democrat running i just oh i'm not even gonna watch it oh yeah, yeah come talk to me when there's like four people left and then maybe maybe and probably not but maybe i'll still be interested and to be perfectly honest if tulsi's not in the last group before i really don't care because they're all the same and tulsi's not much better she's enough better to be mildly interesting but we're all going for Marianne uh, over here. So because oh yeah, I, look man, I, if you're not going for comedic value and and like potential burn the shit down boogaloo, like if that's not your goal, I don't know what you're doing. Like I don't I, why, <laughs> like what's the point in in paying attention to Joe Biden versus Kamala Harris? Like uh, who? How are they any different? Well, one's a cop. And, uh, <laughs> oh, and, and, and Biden's, no, they're both cops, man. Both cops. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. Biden hasn't been an attorney general in what, 60 years, but didn't, isn't that what he did in Delaware before, or wherever, before he got elected? Like, uh, something like that. If you can prove to me that Delaware actually exists. Oh, well, that's fair. But I think that was his son's job too. Like, uh, yeah, they're, they're cops, man. They're all cops. Anybody that runs for anybody that actually wins that job, generally speaking, is a cop. Very, very, very few exceptions. It's a, uh, it's very, it's like, oh, you was an attorney and now you're running for president. So now you want to- Yeah. Well, and defense, defense attorneys don't run for Congress as a rule. There's a couple of them, but that's not who's running, right? Because defense attorneys make a lot of money in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Prosecutors all want to be district attorneys. And then when they become district attorneys, then they, want- then they want to be mayor. Then they want to be governor or congressman or something. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the progression. That's who does that. Total cop. Cause they can't get a real, they, they can't get a real job. So they're going to go, they're going to go be a cop and then, okay, well let me go progress my way up the cop ladder. And don't you know that at least somewhere in the back of their mind, they're going, man, I did a lot of crappy things as a prosecutor. No, no, I don't think they have, you can't look if you were a prosecutor because you thought you were going to like, I don't know, help the system from the inside or whatever. Right. And you were a prosecutor for a couple of years. You realize the system is beyond broken. The incentive structure is completely fucked and there's no way you're fixing it. And you got out and did something else. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'll like, I'll give you the like, Oh yeah, you thought you were helping or whatever. Right. And I'll let that pass. And then you had a conscience and you stopped doing it and you feel bad about some of the things that you were required to do, which is why you stopped doing it in the first place. Okay, fine. If you're Kamala Harris, there's no remorse there. There's no, you couldn't possibly, you could not even begin to make the case to me. Yeah, that's that she feels bad about anything she's ever done other than it's causing her problems in her political campaigning for the next job. Which she's already said, if you're coming after me on my record as a, uh, as, oh yeah, you know you're, you're you're performing targeted harassment. Oh, it's like okay, so you, like Kamala in particular, like seriously doesn't give a shit, right? Like seriously has no remorse because she's said it. She's like, no, I'm proud of my record. I'm running on my record. She, I was like, good luck. Pillow at night. She's falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. No, there's no conscience there. Look, man. I basically, I think. Any of those people, like not, I'm not going to say all Congress people, although there's a case to be made, but any of the like former prosecutor, you know, district attorneys turned congressmen, 
those people are psychopaths, dude. You can't, you can't with a straight face and a, and a human conscience put people in cages for nonviolent offenses and then turn around and campaign on ending the drug war with no remorse and convince me that you're not a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the definition. (laughs) Complete lack of empathy. Zero. No empathy, no remorse, no, you know, self-reflection of like, Oh, maybe I'm a bad person. Nothing. Zero. No humanity to be had. Yeah. I remember explaining once uh, to somebody, it was like, well, how would you know somebody would be a psychopath? I was like, um, well, let's say you walk outside, you see a car accident, and one of the people didn't wear their seatbelt, so now they are laid out all over the concrete outside. And their loved one who survived the crash is now screaming in terror and agony because they now just lost whoever. The psychopath would first giggle and then would go home and make those faces in the mirror to laugh more. You know, they have to practice that, that emotion because they don't have it themselves. Right. And that person went, oh, really? I was like, yeah, yeah. Be thankful that, you know, the, that's not the standard norm for human behavior. You know, I, I do think it is rare, but when you're talking politics, uh, you're just going to find them all over the place. So. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure, like, you got to look at the incentive structure and go, well, who would be attracted to that job? That's- and it's like, oh, okay, so not all politicians are necessarily psychopaths or sociopaths or whatever, but a high-functioning sociopath with the given predilections would be attracted to that as a job. Yeah. It's like, Oh wait, I get money for being the way I am. Oh, okay, great. Right. The rest of us was like, Oh, I'm going to get money for being the way I am. And I get to help people in the process. No problem. Yeah. But yeah. Psychopathy. If you're uh, trying to figure out who fits that bill, uh, Mike Pence, you know, would fit that bill because he sees himself as the, uh, the knight in shining armor. You know, I haven't, I have zero, I don't know that I've ever actually heard him speak. Like, I don't think I've ever heard a single word. I sort of know what he looks like. Yeah. Maybe. Tall, thin, white hair. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. Okay. So I quit paying attention to the news seven years ago. Uh, That was probably a really good time. And, And change, something like that. Like during the 2012 election campaign, you know, 2011, somewhere in that range, I like turned off talk radio. I stopped paying, like, I don't watch the news. I don't care. It doesn't affect my life at all. No, not one bit. Other than, other than at two points in my life, by the way, I'm 31 at two points in my life, longer than seven years ago, I had doctors wanting to put me on blood pressure medicine and I cut out the talk radio and Fox news and the blood pressure dropped enough to convince them that that wasn't necessary. So beyond having my blood pressure dangerously high, not helping any. Yeah. So yeah, it just like, it's, it's a farce. It's none of it's real. It's all Kabuki theater. Like screw them. It's uh, it's every bad episode of WWE you've ever seen. Yeah. It's this. Oh yeah. It's the same model. It's a, uh, you know, they're, they're going to come out and they're going to bluster to each other from the, uh, the top of the, uh, the stairs before they get out to the ring. Uh, the bad music is going to play like a whole bunch of the speakers are going to be blown and then they're going to get out in the ring. And then, you know, you can tell they're pulling their punches and not really trying to connect, you know? Oh yeah. It's yeah. Sorry. I got a little distracted. I just got a notification. I can't, I'm not going to lie. This makes me really happy. Uh, the Red Sox are up 15 to three against the Yankees tonight. That's awesome. Well, uh, well, that's awesome for you. For my aunt, that is terrible news because she. It, so. Yeah, it's the bottom of the fifth, and the socks are up fifteen to three. That's pretty awesome. All right, game's halfway over. Yeah, uh, that game is over. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> do, do we now just like put on the game and do our best radio announcers? Oh yeah, no, I don't have that voice in me. That's not a thing, and I'm like, I'm not watching the game. I just got like a Twitter alert that like, hey. Red Sox are like, things are happening. I'm like, what the hell is going on? My phone is like half blowing up. And it's like, oh, oh, <laughs> it's 15 to three in the bottom of the fifth. Okay. 15 to three at the bottom of the fifth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have, I don't have that in me. <laughs> My dad used to tell me he had a face for radio. That's kind of funny. I unfortunately don't have a voice for radio either. So I've got, uh, I, 
I don't really have the voice for radio. I have the face for radio, and it's uh, just, yeah. <laughs> it's all one of those things. But uh, I do love dipping into radio voice every now and then just because of how silly it is. Yeah. So up and down and up and down again. Yeah. Oh, man. Only thing better is the uh, the traffic helicopter uh, news on the nines. Dude, does anybody still do that? Oh, man. That was one of the things I missed about Houston because they would have phones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Houston. Like, they used to do that. They used to have the, like, helicopter traffic, which is crazy when you think about it. But that was before all the, like, cameras on the highway and stuff. And so I can't – I don't think they do that anymore. I, I don't think so. But uh, when I lived in Houston, they had a thing in the afternoons called phone sex traffic where they would get a phone sex operator to read the traffic report. That's hilarious. What channel was that? Not not uh, ABC3 or whatever it was, was it? No, it was uh, 101KLOL. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. the uh, You know what? I think uh, 99.5 KISS FM in San Antonio did something like that at one point too. Like the, it'd have the like strip club DJ voice too. That's great. You need that one. Well, they, the, that station, like, they used to do live broadcasts from, like, the strip club in San – like, one of the bigger strip clubs in San Antonio. Like, they'd go do live remotes at the club. It was, like, one of their – they're, like – they might be the biggest advertiser. They were definitely one of the, like, top five advertisers on the station. So, they did all kinds of promotional stuff there. Yeah, for folks that don't know, Texas is really big on their uh, strip clubs. And sometimes it was the best lunch buffet in town. So, I've, ne- I've actually never been to a strip club. It's never been my thing, but I used to, I've worked at a bunch of relatively nice restaurants and the people that work the kitchens in nicer restaurants tend to, you know, date tattoo artists and strippers. And it's kind of the crowd you run in cause you work weird hours and you know, it's a lot of weekend work. And so you're off during the week and it, it's kind of that same, you know, comedians and strippers and tattoo artists and kitchen help. And that crowd kind of runs together. It's like late nights and, you know, working during the weekend, but off during, it, it's a weird crowd. But more than one person was like, no, no, dude, like I go have lunch there. I started having lunch there because I was dating one of the girls, but I could give a crap about the girls on the stage. They've got a two ninety nine steak and lobster buffet. That's the best steak and lobster in town. And like, you know, these are like professional cooks and stuff. They know they're like, yeah, yeah. They've got a surf and turf buffet for two ninety nine on Thursdays. That's like, you can't beat. And it's all you can eat surf and turf for three bucks just to get you in the door. Like it's a, you know, it's a loss leader. They're like not making any money. They're trying to get you in the door so that you'll like pay for dances and whatever. And I was like, okay, that kind of sort of makes sense. It's still a little gross to like <laughs> go eat with a bunch of naked people around you. That seems a little odd, but okay, fine. A little weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of that too is like, I was raised like super conservative and very square. And so current me would go, eh, whatever you want to do, dude. And if, if current me was single in 18, uh, maybe I'd have been more interested, but 18 year old me was ridiculously square and uh, not interested. Yeah. I was, uh, I was in kind of one of those households myself where I was just, um, I was like, Oh, I'm now out in the world. Do all the things I was told I wasn't allowed to do. Yeah. It's funny. I, um, I knew a bunch of kids like that, that were like super controlling, like super controlling parents. And they went nuts the second they got out of the house. My parents weren't super controlling. They did a really good job of like, those things are wrong because X, Y, Z, and they have these consequences. Now you can choose to make your own consequences, but you know, they're not without results. And so I just never had any desire. Like they were pretty good about like, yeah, do whatever you like, do what you're going to do, you know, but behave yourself so that you don't have all these bad consequences that come along with doing these things. And so while it was very Christian conservative, very right wing, I mean, I was homeschooled in like 1990, right? Only weirdo Christian people did that back then. And we were the most normal of the super weirds, but still pretty weird. And so for all of that, my mom did a really, in particular, did a really great job of making sure we didn't turn out um, either over-sheltered and like, unable to function in the world and then freaking out as we got older because we knew a bunch of kids that kind of did that and um making sure that we didn't like go completely nuts the second we got 
my mom's older brothers had spent some time in and out of prison and like, so they were kind of, my grandmother had been like really strict when they were younger. And, and so there's, my mom had kind of figured out like, okay, well, too much is crazy and not enough is even crazier. And, and somehow managed to find a pretty good balance of like, you know, be a responsible, good person in the world and make your own choices and don't go crazy. And so I never really had that phase of like, oh, I'm going to go nuts and get blackout wasted. It just never happened. Right. I had a lot of friends that, that happened to, like a lot. <laughs> yeah, when I was a teenager, we had to kind of sneak around to do that kind of stuff. So I don't think the parents were too hip to it. But then after we got out of the house, that, that was when we basically had our version of the Amish rumspringer. Right. Yeah, so we, I mean, obviously, like, most of my friends went to public school and, like, you know, I started working at 15. I had a car at 16. I did the normal sneak around teenage stuff, but you can't, you can only get so out of control when you're like, you don't have steady access to certain items. Right. right? And so, um, never got crazy out of control. The other thing is I, I went to college at 15. I started community college at 15, 15 and a half, something like that. And, um, spring of 2003. So no brag, just back. Well, yeah, it's a dude. I'm a three-time college dropout who technically didn't finish high school. So, no, I'm not bragging. Yes, I might be smarter than the average bear, but I'm not like it's, I'm not particularly smart. I'm just I was in a situation that allowed for some freedom and flexibility that offered me opportunities that other kids who were easily as smart as I am or smarter don't get because they're stuck in you know federal day prison for children. Um. So, you know, I did a reasonable amount of sneaking around or whatever. And yeah, my parents weren't particularly hip to it. Um, Although part of it was like, about the time I was probably 15, the rule was my dad would leave the uh, uh, front entryway light on. And when I came home, I was supposed to turn the light off so that if he got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or whatever, he'd know that I was home safe. Right. And if he got up at like 3 a.m. and the light wasn't off and I hadn't come home, I was in deep crap. But if I had told him before he went to bed, like if I called him and said, hey, I'm not coming home. I'm staying at so-and-so's house or whatever, and I'm not coming home, he'd just go to bed, lock the door, shut the light off, and go to bed. So at that point, it was like, okay, well, I'm not sneaking around. I'm just not coming home. And so a lot of it was, uh, for me, I think a lot of it was that like level of, hey, we expect you to be responsible for yourself at 15, at 16, kept me from making a lot of bad decisions that I could have made, knowing that like if I made a, any of those bad decisions, like my freedoms, I had a, a relatively, not even relatively, I had a more than reasonable amount of freedom that my parents allowed me. And so I, and they had, you know, done a good job of raising me to respect the fact that like, Hey, you have these freedoms that we're allowing you, you live in our house. We pay for your, you know, utility bills and your food and you know, whatever. And, uh, you can, you can continue to have these freedoms as long as you respect the fact that they're freedoms that we're allowing you. And as soon as you disrespect that, they're going away. And I had a couple of instances where that happened, um, got caught doing things that were outside of the realm of the freedom that I had been allowed. And um, one major incident in particular. And, uh, you know, so I learned, I learned pretty quick that like, oh, I, I want the freedom that that allows. So, okay, don't like look around you and realize like, hey, you know, your parents are basically telling you, you can kind of sort of do what you want to do. You've been responsible. You've got a job and you're going to school and okay, that's all good. Um, and as long as you kind of maintain those things, then you're good to go. And so, um, man, I think, and you know, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about this in years, although I'm sure it'll come up because I'm, you know, kids and whatever. Um, but like that, my my parents did a really good job raising us. (laughs) Like, yeah, I heard that episode with your, with your mom. uh, Oh yeah. That was, that was pretty great. And it kind of explained, uh, going through the homeschool process and everything. So it's no wonder it kind of sounds like it's like, okay, well, if you do this, then this is going to happen. That's going to be no good. So just kind of always put that in the back of your mind. So right. You kind of end up keeping you on the straight and narrow because you were always thinking of, it's like, okay, well, it's kind of like chess. You're thinking one move ahead 
type of thing. And I, and I did that a little bit as a, as a teenager and then like completely forgot all of that when I was in my twenties. But yeah, it was, it, it was always kind of in the back of your mind. It's like, Oh, this, this is going to suck for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, so then in my twenties, the thing that saved me was I got married early. My wife and I've been together since high school ish. She was still in high school. I was like just out of high school and uh, I got married. We got married. I was 23. We were engaged for more than a year before that. So, you know, I, like I had responsibilities, man. Like I had stuff, like I had shit to do like real world grown up shit. So, you know, it doesn't mean I don't go out and drink and it doesn't mean I hadn't smoked some weed here and there and whatever, but like, you know, done mushrooms occasionally, allegedly, whatever. And none of that stuff has ever gotten out of control because I've, it's always been within the realm of, Hey, dickhead, you have responsibilities. Like don't fuck around and get your shit handled. And then if you get your shit handled correctly, you'll have time to do the other fun stuff responsibly. And I, yeah, I think, you know, my parents, it does a lot of credit to them that they did a really good job making sure that we understood like, yeah, things have consequences. Everything has consequences and you get to pick and choose what those consequences are based on the actions you take. So pay attention to what you're doing. And that's uh, and, and folks out there, if you've got little kids, you know, take notes because uh, sometimes you just you gotta let them know. It's like, hey, if you're gonna do this, be aware that these are gonna be the consequences for it, and you may not understand that right now, but at some point- well, actually, my mom. So part of that is like my mom made it explicit, right? When we were, when I say we, I mean the the. So my family, uh, we've got three distinct cohorts of kids, right? We've got the first four biological kids. And then we've got another group of three sibling groups that's adopted. And then we've got another group of three sibling groups that's adopted. And there's a pretty big gap in between the three different groups. So when I say we, I mean me and my three biological siblings, because we were all kind of raised. I I mean, my mom's basically still doing the same stuff, although she's refined it over time, but the four, the original four, we're doing, we did, we were all raised basically the same way. But when we were in like elementary school, maybe early junior high for me and elementary school for little kids, my mom had a like three ring binder for each of us. And it was the book of consequences. And so what she would do was if we got in trouble doing whatever, we'd write down the thing that got us in trouble. And then we would get to decide what our consequence was. Oh, <laughs> and what she yeah. So one of the funny things that she said she found out with that is we were always harder on ourselves than she had ever intended us to be. Yeah. 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 Which is hilarious. But I mean, she really, she made it completely explicit that like, do this thing, this thing happens. Yep. Very like concrete connection between the two. It's not just like touch hot stove, get burned. Right. That's pretty concrete. This was like, don't do your chores. Don't get to watch TV today. Well, and so there's also the act of actually writing it out. Oh yeah. So you knew, you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt. If you do this thing, this next thing is the, it's not like, Oh, I, I didn't take the trash out today. So nothing happened. And I didn't take the trash out today and nothing happened. And I didn't take the trash out today and nothing happened in day four. I didn't take the trash out today. And mom exploded and threw a shoe in my head. <laughs> And then I didn't take the trash out today and I didn't take the trash out today and I didn't take the trash out today. And day five of the second week, mom exploded and took a belt to my ass. It was, it was like, no, no, you know, very concretely, you don't do this thing. This thing happens. And she was really good at enforcing it too. So you, it was reinforced behavioral conditioning to some extent, yeah. which consistency. Oh, the consistency is super important. Yeah, absolutely. But also the like explicit nature of, you know what you're supposed to do because you have a list. And you know what happens if you don't do those things because you have a list. And so because you have the two lists together, you can figure out pretty quickly, like, all right, I don't like what happens when I don't do the things I'm supposed to do. So do the things I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And uh, uh, I try to be the, um, I, I try to do that with my son too, but it's, it, sometimes it's hard because it, you got to keep refocusing his attention because he's, uh, you know, pretty much riddled with ADHD and so am I. So dude, I've got it through the roof and I know, I, my dad has mellowed a lot with age. My dad and I had 
major knockdown drag out physical confrontations when I was younger. Our relationship is much better, but it was so bad at one point we lived in the same house and basically didn't speak for five years. Yeah. Yeah. It had, well, and it's like, I'm the oldest boy and I'm, I'm smart and, and things are going the right way. And I, I was an arrogant douchebag. Like there's no other way to put it. I was a pain in the ass. And you know, my dad was, my dad was 29 years older than me and I'm the first kid and he's the youngest, second youngest of seven. And by the time he was around, his dad was older and working. And his dad was, I mean, he's got a couple of stories where like, yeah, my grandfather was pretty violent. Not a violent guy, but like could get really aggressive. And my dad was never quite that bad. But it's like, you got to look at it and go, well, man, they didn't know anybody. And this like, dude, it doesn't come with an instruction manual. <laughs> Most of us, almost everybody is just at best modeling the things their parents did. And if you're lucky, you get somebody who's like, all right, my parents didn't do such a great job, so I'm going to try to get better, right? Like Louis J. Gomez, who we mentioned earlier, is like a really good dad. and His parents were complete pieces of shit. And so like, okay, so he fixed it, whatever. But most people, like everything else in life, just kind of go about their programming. And then you model the authority figures you had around you and you repeat what they did, which is what my dad did for a long time. And I got to give both of my parents a ton of credit they've grown as, as parents and as people and they've gotten better over time. And like, they're way better now with the little kids. And part of that is like more money and they're getting ready to retire and things are more stable than it used to be. And, and not stressed out all the time about other stuff. And yeah. And part of it is age and experience and you know, they've got 10 kids. So like, yeah, they're better at eight, nine and 10 and are getting a better shake for the, <laughs> of the deal than we ever got, but okay, fine. And I got to tell you, man, that, that growth has set a really good example for me of like, okay, well, don't take what you remember from your child, like learn from what your parents have already set the groundwork, like learn from them and then build on it, which is what we're supposed to do. Like it's all of Western thought is like built on the best things that you can take from the last generation. And so that, that applies directly to parenting. Like, okay, man, my parents sucked. Well, good. Go find another model. Or maybe my parents didn't suck. But they, there were things they didn't do good. Like, okay, go find a better model. And, and to be perfectly honest, my parents are a good model. Even the stuff that sucked when I was a kid, like, it was not as bad as a lot of my other friends. See, I, didn't, I didn't have that. I basically got the example of all of the stuff that you're not supposed to do. <laughs> That's what, pretty much what I've been trying to implement. And then I, I still have to be very, very aware that I can go to 100 very quickly. Oh, yeah. And so, I'll, I, you know, I'll sometimes I'll have just, just to tell, I was like, look, I, I'm going to need to retreat to my corner so I can calm down. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is fine. Like, just knowing that of like, okay, I'm about to lose it. Tag, right? Like, just, I, I need to not lose it right now. So I'm, I'm going to go cool off for a minute and then we'll deal with this. And my dad didn't have that in him for a long time and does now. Yeah, because uh, my dad was the same way. He went to 100 and then he stayed at 100. Yeah, my dad was pretty good about not staying at a hundred, but man, it would you could push him pretty quick. Yeah, and in fairness, like he was involved in a like startup company that didn't go well for a lot of reasons. He was working a ton. He was stressed out about money and all like, and being a grown ass adult who's had money problems because of you know car accidents and stuff. Like, okay, yeah. I look back at it. The older I get, the more I look at my dad when he was my age. Because I can, I'm not quite old enough, but I'm getting pretty close to remember my dad at my age. Like the age that, remembering my dad when he was the age I am now. Like in another year or two, I will be old enough to go, okay, when I was four, my dad was 33. I'll be 33 next year. I remember being four, right? And so the older I get, the more I look at it and go, okay, yeah, some of that stuff was fucked up, but I get where he was coming from. Like, I understand the stress he was under better and the, you know, all the other things that were going on is like, I get it better just from getting older. And so some of that is like, man, you just got to be an adult and like put your big boy pants on and fix your shit. And yeah, your parents might've fucked you up, but guess what? You can fix that. You can, there are books and YouTube videos and podcasts and church help, even if you're not religious or whatever like there's ways to fix that crap and so if you recognize it like it's on you it's on you as an adult to go fix your shit and if you're going to be a libertarian an anarchist whatever it's extra especially upon you to go like hey dickhead you're fucked up 
and you believe in personal responsibility above all else. Yep. So it's your responsibility to go fix that shit. Yeah. As I like to say, the big boy rules always apply. Yeah. <laughs> so, and especially, you know, for us that are liberty minded, because, uh, you know, we don't need anybody telling us what to do. So that means you tell you what to do. Yeah, for sure. And like, look, man, at the end of the day, it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to roll over and die or you're going to get up and fight every morning. Yeah. Those are your options. Like anytime I, I went to a, my like military service didn't go well. And my whole life was upside down when I got out way early and, and went through a kind of a depressive episode. And since then, that's been my mantra. Anytime things get hard, it's like, all right, dude, what are you going to do? You're going to roll over and die. Like, good put your gun in your mouth and end it or get up and fight. Like those are your options every morning, every day. Your option is roll over and die or get up and fight. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be messy. And you're going to be mad at your wife or your kids or job. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. Nobody cares, but you, it's nobody else's responsibility, but yours. And so, you know, some days it's harder than others, but your choices are, roll over and die or get up and fight. And I choose to get up and fight. I only got so much time and I've got a kid and a wife that I really enjoy and love very much. And I'm not going to just roll over for anybody, especially not for myself. Yeah. Uh, You you can lie to everybody in your life. You you could totally do that. uh, But the one person you can't lie to is the one that stares back at you in the mirror. Oh yeah. And it's a, it's the hardest critic. You are your own worst enemy. And that goes for everybody. The most, the most Zen Buddhist monk who has most of the world figured out is still his own worst enemy. And they'll tell you that. Like, the, the whole point of Buddhism, yeah, dude, you are not in control. You're all, your shit is fucked up, and you are your own worst enemy, and you need to learn how to breathe and let it go and move on. Yeah, so the first time I tried doing a, a meditation, you know, and I was trying to tell the person who was telling me about it, I was like, I was like you realize I'm riddled with ADHD. I, I can't get my mind quiet enough for that. And he goes, yeah, 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 that's fine. They're just, the thoughts are going to get in there. <laughs> so it's just, you got to stick with it, keep doing it. And eventually you will clear your mind out. And I tried and I tried and I tried. But I tried. Yeah, I actually, so I, I don't meditate regularly, although I, I have at different points in the past. The thing that finally worked for me was somebody explaining that it's not about clearing your mind. Yeah. It's about recognizing the thought and checking where it came from and letting it go. Right. It's the conscious understanding that you are not your thoughts and you can change them. You can control them. And it's a biblical principle too, for the Christians out there that are like, Oh, it's Buddhism, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, meditate on the things that are good. It's straight. It's straight out of the Bible. Like you are supposed to sit there and go, that's a good thought. Where did that come from? Oh, that's cool. Okay. Let that one go. Oh, that's a bad thought. Oh, don't think about that. Let that one definitely let that go. This is, this is historically human, right? This concept of where does consciousness sit and where does consciousness reside and what are we and why are we here? These are the questions of the universe. And most of the major thought leaders of that space over the course of the last 2,500 years have all said, you are not your thoughts and you can learn to control them in some way, shape or form and change them for the better. And you can get better. You can fix your shit. And it's not to say, like, I'm not Jordan Peterson, right? I'm not telling you to clean your room. I'm, se- I'm telling you, like, be a responsible fucking adult. Exactly. And, yeah, that probably means clean your fucking room, now that I think about that. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. how else can you slay the dragons if you don't make your bed? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't have any, like, major problems with Jordan Peterson. My only, like, thing about – my only – my reason for not really paying close attention to Jordan Peterson is – I, I get the distinct impression that Jordan Peterson is good for guys that didn't have dads. And I had a dad. Yeah. He's, he is totally a father figure. Yeah. Yeah. He's telling you all the same crap that your dad should have told you. Yeah. But he, he does come to it from a, a clear and concise manner. And that may just be all the Canadian in him. But uh, first, I, because he sounded like Kermit the Frog and I couldn't get past that. He, he definitely sounds like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> so then, you know, I was sitting there like reading his book and I was like, Oh, okay. No, no, I get it. This was all the stuff that, you know, I should have learned when I was 12. Right. It should have carried it on into my adult years, but, you know, I guess I'm getting to it now. Yeah. And, you know, in fairness to a lot of the people that really like Jordan Peterson or needed, like it was found Jordan useful, our easy money 
bullshit society has fucked up a lot of those basic things. So yeah, a lot of people need the refresher. I'm just not one of them. So it's a, it, it's a constant struggle. So, but uh, I mean, that's what we signed up for when we became parents and decided to do it from a Liberty angle. You know, it's a, it's a constant struggle. You can choose for it to not be a constant struggle, but man, I look at the people that choose that path and go, that looks miserable. I'm here for the, like, I want to get better. And you only get better through the struggle. I have started paying attention recently to the, the guys that run the Barbell Logic podcast because I'm looking at getting back into barbell training like we were talking about. Yeah. And they call it uh, voluntary hardship. Yeah, there you go. And I'm like, yeah, man. That's the thing I've been missing since I got out of the military. Because like, the military, while sort of voluntary, the hardship part is like, no, you're going to fucking do this. You signed on the line. Like, we're going to – and, you know, it's not particularly dangerous in training and whatever else, although bad shit happens that level of like, no, you're going to get up every morning and you're going to do hard stuff because it's good for you. It's good for your soul and it's good for your body and it's good for your mind and it's good for your life and the people around you are better off if you're better off. So put the oxygen mask on you first because if you can't breathe, you can't help anybody else. That's very true. That's very true. (sighs) And that's, I mean, that's what our show, like that's what mine and Anna's show anarchist garage is about it's like hey yeah we don't like the state we don't want the state involved in our lives cool politics and voting and we're going to fix that for you you're going to fix that for you we're going to actually do stuff we're going to put the oxygen mask on and learn to breathe on our own and then once we're done with that which is an ongoing process but once we get to a stable place where it's like okay i've got the basics under control then we can start talking about like how do we help other people but before that not only are you not helping anybody else you're making your life worse and by the way you're setting a shit example and nobody's going to want to talk to you about any of the ideas that you have because your life is fucked and they don't want what you want or they don't want what you have you know what i mean yeah it's it's kind of one of those things you never know who's watching or paying attention to like your oh yeah and you know that may be your kid it could be the kid that lives across the street <laughs> and you're if you're going out and you know treating everybody like shit and you know just cussing them out just for no reason at all yeah, people are going to catch on to that pretty quick and they're going to say oh that's yeah, that's not the guy i need to follow but if you're doing what you mean to do and you know you say you're going to do something then you follow up on it you know people notice that stuff keep in with the accountability of it all yeah i looking back you're not saying Oh, well, you know, I meant to get to that thing and I just never did it because, you know, I got busy. We all love that excuse. Look, man, we're all busy. Yeah, yeah, everybody. And everybody's busy. And you can't tell me that, like, Jeff Bezos isn't busy. (laughs) And, yeah, he's a douchebag. But he still found a way to make billions of dollars, right? Yeah, at this point, a bajillion. Right. Like, it's ridiculous. And so, like, yeah, you might not want his life but he's busy and he's got his problems too. Like everybody's busy. And if you're not busy, you're going backwards. If you're not doing something and, and let's, let's be clear. Like if you're busy for busy sake and you're not actually doing anything, I have some sympathy for you, but man, like quit digging a hole. But like, yeah, it's not an excuse. Being busy is not an excuse. You can still manage. You can still do stuff. You still got time. You can squeeze it in. And you might actually be legitimately too busy for certain things. And you need to learn how to say no. And that's okay too. That's its own set of problems. Being so busy you're not productive or efficient or effective means, hey, dude, you need to, like, prioritize and learn how to say no. Yeah, saying no is a huge one, and uh, and I've been on a kick recently of, you know, sometimes it, it is okay to quit. You know, uh, we, we should really get away from the stigma of being a quitter. You know, if you're going to do something that's uh, not going to benefit, benefit you in the long run, it, it's okay to say, no, I, I need to stop doing this. It's obviously not working. It's not, it's not helping me any, but we all say, Oh man, you quit. You know, you could have stayed. You could have kept going. There's a difference between quitting and moving on. Yeah, true. Right. So quitting is, I could have done that thing. It would have been good for me, but it was hard or difficult or I took a lazy path. That's quitting. That's being a quitter. Right. Was uncomfortable. I didn't like those people. Blah blah. What making excuses? That's quitting. Moving on is like this sucks and it's not doing anything for me. In fact, it's making my life worse because I'm miserable. It's time to move on. Time to find something else. And oh, by the way, if that means like I got to tell my boss to take this job and shove it without having another thing backing it up, 
okay, then that's what it means. That's not quitting. That's appropriately saying enough. And that goes back to the like voluntary hardship thing. Like you need to do hard things. So, you know, Hey, this is hard, but it's good for me versus this sucks. And it's not doing me any good. Why am I doing this? You need to learn the difference. And that means choosing hard things that are good for you so that you build up the muscle of, I know this is hard, but it's good for me. And then recognize this sucks and it's not good for me. So I don't need to do this. Yep. All true. All true. I think all of us as uh, rational adults, and I use that term very loosely with myself, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Getting to that point where we're recognizing, I tried it, it didn't work. Let's move on to something else. Or you just find yourself in this position and it's like not what you thought it was going to be. At that point, uh, uh, okay, let's uh, put on the big boy pants again. We'll just try it again. We'll know how not to do it. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, so it's a little bit of a more refined point of you can roll over and die or, or get up and fight. It's a little bit more refined in that you need to be moving forward. Cause if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. There's no in between like, you know, when they put you in the ground, there's going to be a number and another number separated by a dash. Everybody gets a dash. They're different lengths and they've got different things that happen in them. But what you get is a dash and you don't get to take any of it with you as far as we know. Make the most of it. Yeah, uh, definitely make the most of it. You only got so long. No, we're not going to upload our brains into the supercomputer. (laughs) Maybe we are, but you can't count on that, right? You can't live your life as if that's the, that's exactly only the only solution. That's the only thing that's going to happen. Like maybe that happens and maybe we lived at 250 instead of 85. I don't know. You don't know, but you got to live your life. Like you get today. I mean, look, man, I was in an accident a year ago that easily could have killed me. And then, Oh, I upload my consciousness. Oh, too late. Right. Like you could die tomorrow. You could die tonight on the Like you'd be out on the road and some, old lady who's not paying attention rushes a red light game over. Yeah. And you never know when it's your time to punch the ticket either. No, no, we don't get to know. That's, that's how that, I mean, you might get to know if you choose to do it yourself or, you know, you're dying of cancer and it's like, all right, unplug me, damn it. But like beyond that, yeah, you don't get to, it. it, it's going to hit you at some point you're going to die and it could be a minute from now. So what are you doing? (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly on my way home today three accidents that i had to pass up yeah you know, oh i live on one of the da- most dangerous stretches of highway in texas like one of the top five i see accidents every day and i've been in two in the last year one that was not very major and one that was major totaled my truck this lady pulled out in front of me i hit her doing like 50 miles an hour yeah that's never going to be a good day yeah yeah it broke my left hand in five places like i'm lucky that's most of the damage like the airbag went off appropriately. I had my seatbelt on. I wasn't fucking around with the radio or my phone. Mostly I was okay. Three surgeries later and eight months of physical therapy. Like I'm mostly back. I'm not hundred percent back to normal and I never will be, but it could have easily resulted in if I'm on my phone and I don't see her and stand up on the brakes and I hit her full speed with my head down. That's all it takes. One bad decision one time and it's all over. Yeah, or even there was no decision to be made. You were just, just right. sitting there at the right place. Wrong place, wrong time, uh, you know, whatever. All kinds of bad shit happens. To all kinds of good people for no reason or no apparent reason. Yeah, you got to – it's one of my best analogies, and Anna likes it too. I think I'm the one that introduced her to her. It's like if the oxygen masks drop on the plane, you're supposed to put yours on first. And the reason for that is if you can't breathe, you can't help anybody else because you're going to pass out from hypoxia. So put your oxygen mask on and then help everybody else. Get your shit straight and then worry about everybody else. It's like this whole conversation about like, let's pay attention to politics. And it's such a complete waste of time that your life, everybody in the U.S. basically, that your life is completely screwed up. You're not paying attention to your wife and kids enough. You're not making enough money. You're not doing the things you're supposed to do. And you know it. You're wasting your life and then you still want to turn on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC for two hours a day and get all riled up about something that has no direct effect on your day-to-day life. None. Zero. Other than so what are, you, what are you doing? Up, uh, you know, riled up about it. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That is, that is. It's, 
it's likely to shorten your lifespan. It's going to make your blood pressure crazy and you're going to die of an aneurysm from watching too much TV. Like, stop it. It's not worth it. Don't do it. It's an easy one. Shut the TV off, especially the news. Like, I don't mind the entertainment stuff so much. Like, fine, everybody needs an outlet. But especially the news. It's, it is designed to show you bad things. Because it is, that is what gets you to come back because you get wound. It's the endless, vicious cycle. And it is designed to suck you in. It's clickbait. In the old, like, it is the first version of clickbait. The news is bad for you. Stop. Oh, yeah. It's, it's totally terrible. It's, uh, it's never a good thing. You know, I've got friends that work in the news media and stuff, and they said, well, you know, every time we try doing the, the feel good, you know, the good news and everything, people start changing the channel. Yeah. I mean, humanity, look, it, human evolution, evolutionary biology is like, oh, we're supposed to look for dangerous stuff so that we survive. Like, we're designed to pay attention to the world around us looking for bad things. Well, the news, then, is designed much like, hey, we put sugar in everything because sugar is supposed to be hard to get. But now that it's not hard to get, our biological systems go, ooh, sugar, right? And we all get gigantic because we've got endless supplies of cheap sugar now that we've never had until, like, 100 years ago. So you go, okay, the news is the same thing. It's processed garbage that they are pumping into your veins that are, it's bad for you. Uh, it's quite literally the snowballs of uh, of media. Yeah. Well, if you're into snowballs, those are ugh, gross. But yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, you know, I'm big on like it's Swedish fish to the veins, dude. Like it's it's Dr Pepper. Like hook it up and just IV it straight, mainline it into your liver. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna blow up to 300 pounds, and you're gonna get type two diabetes, and you're gonna die at 55 after they chop your foot off. The news is doing the same to you. Instead of diabetes, you're going to have high blood pressure and an aneurysm and like stroke out at 55. Yep. Got worked up over nothing. Well, okay. In fairness, there are things going on in the world that are not nothing that are on the news. Right. But for the most part, you have zero control over them. None. There's nothing you can do. And the sooner you accept that, the better your life will get. Yeah. Pay attention to your own backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Make your bed, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's like all coming down to Jordan Peterson all over again. You know, the guy's not complete, like, it's not baseless, right? Like, No, he's not, he's not full of shit at all. And he's, well, he's also not saying anything particularly new. Like, this is historic wisdom that most people, like, you learn that. Like, you're supposed to learn that before you're 20. And a lot of people apparently have missed it. Not, like not groundbreaking. It just is because... <laughs> Look, we know this is historical information, right? Because it's in the it's in the Bible. It's two thousand years old. Just get the splinter out of your own damn eye before you start worrying about the log in anybody else's eye. Yeah, but you can't call out somebody for being a hypocrite. <laughs> well, I'm not interested. Everybody's hypocritical. We all got. Yeah, I, I don't care anymore. Be a hypocrite. I don't care. It doesn't affect me. Yeah, as Rothbard said, we're all allowed one deviation. So, so. <laughs> it's all good. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, really shouldn't be focusing that closely on it yeah but um we do all the time well uh we've been at this over an hour uh awesome more than that you know i I love having these little interview uh shows uh so let's go ahead and just uh get into your plugs uh other than yeah man darkest garage you know you can check them out on spotify and everything what else do you yeah we're on spotify google play overcast supposed to end up on itunes and stitcher at some point although it's been weeks and it hasn't happened yet so i don't know what the deal with that is and so it's uh anarchist garage on twitter or e laprice on twitter uh you can follow my co-host on that show at unreal anna adams and um yeah man we're getting ready to do and i'll talk about this in the episode that's coming out in the morning uh we're doing a bi-weekly accountability session where anna and i are going to be like comparing notes about kind of we're both in transition periods of like going back to working and different things. So we're going to be talking about that and how we're doing that and whatever, and you can kind of play along. And we're starting a monthly great books conversation as an episode of the show. So we're, we've got a couple of series in the works and got some cool stuff coming. And so you should totally check out the podcast and hit me up on Twitter. If you've got questions or want to tell me I'm retarded, I'll probably block you, but that's okay. Nobody's because you're not. <laughs> well, I, you can tell me I am. I, yeah, I might be. I don't think so, but it, it could be true. I, I would say the, the, the mere fact of somebody calling you retarded is pretty fucking retarded. <laughs> I met you in person. I know for a fact. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well. Oh, so I guess this would also be a good time to uh, to plug Childerberg Dose. Yeah. Uh, May 23rd through the 26th, 2020. Uh, it's at Emma Long Municipal Park in Austin, Texas. It's about 20 minutes from the Libertarian National Convention. Uh, the same week in the convention is going to be there. Why on earth you want to go to the convention over Childerberg? I have no idea. I will not be riding the bus back and forth, but we are going to have a van or bus or whatever hauling people back and forth, apparently. I, I am designing the side graphic. Nice. Okay. So I, I have no interest in, in the convention at all whatsoever and under any circumstances. I will not be going back into town. Not, not but if you're coming for the convention and you don't want to camp because it is you know late May in South Texas and it might be hot or whatever, or you're staying in – you can still come out and hang out with us and have a beer and whatever, you know, plan on being there. The first one was a blast. Anybody that didn't make the first one totally missed out. It, the second one is going to be substantially bigger than the last one. I already know for a fact, we're going to be more than twice as many people if just from a dead reckoning. And then the other day when Tom Woods dropped it on, <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, shout out to Jake Lindsay for putting that together and doing that the right way and getting us that shout out. So I, Jake is, you know, fully responsible for all this crap. Jake is fully responsible for one of the best weekends I've had in a long time and expect the next one to be even better. So uh, don't miss it. Make plans now. You've got lots of time. Yeah, plenty of time. I'm, I'm actually going to be one of those poor saps that's going to go kind of like back and forth. Yeah, but you're still like involved in the party. Why exactly? I don't understand. But hey, you have responsibilities, so fine. This time, I'm I'm actually not going to be a delegate. I'm just gonna kind of go for all the side things that I missed at the last convention. Ah, uh, because you were busy being a delegate. So, um, but uh, th- yeah, this time I'm just gonna you know hang out on both. I'm not gonna be camping because I'm gonna have a hotel room that I can sleep in a bed. Yeah, I don't know that I'm camping this time either because I'm 20 minutes from home. <laughs> <laughs> so I may come home and go to bed. Uh, meanwhile, I might camp and just like hang out just to hang out. I don't know yet, but yeah, there's a decent chance. I'm not like, I'll leave at midnight and be back at, you know, 7am or whatever and go sleep in my own bed in the air conditioning because I'm 20 minutes from my house. But that being said, you should come. It's a good time. And the wife is like, Hey, you need to be done. So thanks, Eric. This was a blast. Oh, no problem, man. Anytime, anytime. I love having guests on. Cool, man. (laughs) All right. So uh, check out Anarchist Garage podcatchers out there uh and then other than that uh we'll catch you around on twitter all right man i'll I'll talk to you later